title of today's lesson is Commending Leaders to Gospel Ministry. And the central truth, and I'll kind of get us started this morning, ministers of the gospel safeguard the church by faithfully handling God's word and by providing examples of Christian living. It's a really good statement. It's a really good way to start. And I'm, I'm going to kind of talk about that just briefly when it says ministers of the gospel safeguard the church. All right, well, let's just stop right there. We've already, I think we've already come to the conclusion throughout, you know, just years of talking about this that regardless of whether you're standing up in front of people or whether you're sitting here in the congregation the great commission of spreading the gospel puts every one of us in the position uh, to be responsible for what we're doing so everyone in here has a responsibility to the gospel everyone if you're saved if you believe in the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ then you are under this uh responsibility to safeguard it. So with that, we have these things that we have to be doing on a continual basis. It's way more than church on Sunday morning. Way more than that. And, and, and to pretend like it's something less than that, just to say, you know, I've been coming and, and I've been even coming it's not making you responsible for the ministry that God has given you. That's just, we've talked about that many times before. I'm not going to hash it out again. You're, it's byproduct. We're here because of what we do. It's what we believe that brings us to this place to gather together. It's not mandatory. Nobody's making you come. Thank God it's not that way, right? We don't, we don't want to, we don't need to be a dictatorship. It's not communism. We want to be here. We want to worship the Lord. We want to be with fellow believers. And so that pushes us to, to have this place of gathering. And so um, we have this responsibility to safeguard uh, the thing that we've been given, and we are all in the position to do that. We're all ministers. We've all been given this thing. Uh, no, you may not be in front of people. No, you may not be teaching a class. That's fine. But you have been given the ministry that God has put into your heart, into your life. And it's, it's kind of like this. It's like, what do you have to say? Like everybody has something to say within their heart about what God has done for them. And then if you can answer that correctly, then you have to ask the next question is, how often have I been doing that? Because that's your ministry. And so that's something that has to be upheld. That's something that's been given to you and I. And, and I think, I really believe scripturally, and I could we could debate this and we could talk about it in, in length, but we don't have time. I believe that we're going to be held accountable one day for that. Yeah. For your individual ministry. And it, it, will, it, will have, it will have very little to do with attendance. It's going to be about what you did with what you were given. And where it went from there. I really do. I mean, we could get into it. We could say, you know, you know, uh, talk about how that's all going to kind of play itself out. I don't think attendance might come up. Church attendance might be squeaked in there somewhere. But the heart of it is going to be about what you were given and what you did with it. Just remember that. So let's do, uh, let me finish, actually finish that out because I want to say something else. Ministers of the gospel safeguard the church by faithfully handling God's word and by providing examples of Christian living. We've been talking about this. has been kind of building up. It's it's not just what you're saying, but it's <clears throat> what are you doing? What are you doing about it? And are we actually living out the thing that we say? 
Are we living how we talk? If we, are we, we come to church and we learn, because that's what we're here for, right? And I also want to throw this in, that what good does it come to church? What good does it do to come to church if you're not going to actually take what you've learned and actually go apply it to your life? It's a bit ridiculous to come to church and say, that was a good service, and never actually do anything that was said. That doesn't make any sense. And actually, at the same time, it's contradictive. So faith is works. But in these days, you're like, oh, I'm working. Blah, blah, blah. No, work's not just prayer. Work right. is action. It's a do. It's a do. It's a do. So we know we got to do it. So we're, we're, we're kind of bringing these lessons, these last couple lessons. It's kind of culminating uh, here in, on page 21. So under Let's Get Started, today we will examine what Paul assumed to be his final meeting with the elders from the church at Ephesus. During that meeting, he instructed them on their responsibility toward the church under their care. He offered himself as an example of how they should conduct their lives and what their priorities should be. I thought that was very interesting. You can notice that, and he did that. Look at that scripturally. He was offering himself as an example. Now, he wasn't being arrogant here. He was simply saying, look at what I've done. You guys follow that example. Because, I mean, we're talking about a guy that was just simply sold out to what he was doing. And so he set the bar very high. And I thought about that. I thought, what if you were to use your own life as a bar? And how would that look to other people? Would it work? If, if people were to duplicate their life after yours, if that was a real thing, and you said, hey, do what I'm doing, would there be enough evidence to accuse you of Christianity? Would they be able to duplicate your life and say, whoa, hey, man, this, 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 this uh, individual is extremely dedicated. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can hit that mark. That's what you want. And think about your life. Think about your life if you didn't have people in it that actually gave you that bar. Because a lot of times those are the people that get the flat. Those are the the holy rollers, or the they're really religious, and they got they they seem to be really into church and really into God. What would we do without those people? Those are people that have set the mark and the bar. Paul was setting the bar, and he said it, and he said, look at me. Look at what I did. You mimic that. And so that really raised a big question within me, and I said, what if, what if I took my own life, and I, I presented it, and I said, you look at my life. And, and when I say that, that doesn't mean just what people see. What if they knew all your secret stuff, too? And then with that, would there still be enough evidence to accuse you of being a Christian? Because, of course, I say this sarcastically, of course Christianity is only about what people see. You with me now? It's, it's way deeper than that. And it goes very, very deep into the heart of the individual, even the secret things, the things that nobody knows about. The things that you keep hidden within yourself. And I'm saying that boldly because you're a human. We've all got trash in the trash can. And some, some of it just hasn't been emptied out yet. And we got to get rid of it. We got to get those things aside and be able to live what I call accurately. We live accurately to the gospel. I'm not, I'm not talking. Remember, 
when we're talking about these kind of things, I am not talking about people who make mistakes. Can we all admit that we all make mistakes? Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm re- referencing. I'm not referencing your, your inability to stay perfect. We all know you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. No one's going to stay perfect. I'm talking about living consistently, running after God. That's what I'm talking about. And when you're not living consistently, that means that you've, you've allowed something in your life, sin, sin. That's what we call it. Everybody say sin. sin. That's what it's called. It's called sin, something that is an offense to God. We've allowed a sin in, and we've allowed ourselves to become a practitioner of that sin, and it still exists in our life today, yet we are still claiming Christianity. Talking about no willingly, knowing it's not good, knowing it's a sin, but we're still going to do it anyway. That's where we start making the mistake, and that's where the line is drawn. So, got to call ourselves out for that and be responsible for what we've been given. Um... Um, he offered himself. God wants each of us to live in a way that others can follow our example uh, and be an effective witness. Okay. The gospel of Christ is the greatest message one person could ever relate to another. Do you agree with that? Amen. Okay. Well, let me make a point on that. Far better than a new product, scientific advancement, or political candidate, this is news of God's redemption of the human race through Jesus Christ. I believe that, and I believe that you believe that, but here's the thing. Pastor's been, uh, he's starting a, a series on Wednesday nights of the, the building of the church and what it's going to take to actually build, or I, I guess we could say rebuild, from the inside out. Not cosmetically, but rebuilding uh, from, the, from the inside out. And so this got me thinking. If, if that's what we're going to say, if we're going to say, yes, Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ is the most important thing out there. The church is going to have to buy back into that again. They have to completely buy back into the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way, and there is no other way, and as the lesson points out here, no scientific advancement is going to trump that. There's some crazy scientific advancements, and I'll say for the majority of them, it's not even an advancement. I call it perversion. Yes. You've went too far. It's not an advancement. It's called perversion. Or political candidate. I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't matter who it is. I I don't like the way things are going, but I can't, you can't just blame it all on one individual. It's the whole, first of all, it's the church, number Mm -hmm. one. And then if you really want to start breaking it down, we start pointing fingers. Can we all agree? We do that. We point fingers. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. It's all these people's fault. The church has to buy back in to what its original belief was and commit themselves to it. Come back to the original formula and 100% live by it. Under, under no circumstances, draw the line and do not cross it. That's what the church has to do again. It, it, it's got to be more... Well, it's kind of like if we were to put the scripture on a wall or something like, you know, uh, John 3.16. We were to post that thing put out there. It looks good, right? Because we're a church. You're supposed to see those kind of things in a church. Or even your home. Maybe you've got John 3.16 at your house. It doesn't matter. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe what you have been told? Do you believe that it's enough? That he's enough? Do we believe all those things? 
Or have we started, has the church started to drift away from trusting him and we've started to trust in political candidates, trust in scientific advancements, trusting in things that are temporary to get the job done or maybe even get a job done that only God can accomplish. You know, I'm, we've ever since, if I think I, I'll be open here, ever since COVID, we've put a, all eyes have been focused on politics and our politicians because of the decisions that have, were made or not made, however you want to weigh it, and a tremendous swing, tremendous. Even people within the church, you remember when COVID happened, the church was even split over what they believed. Did you not notice that that was a, a demonic attack and an idea and a strategy to split the church, to get people fussing and fighting and being angry with each other over whether you were supposed to wear a mask or not? The whole thing was a ruse to get us fighting. The church has got to come back to the original formula. Love. Love. Amen. Loving the brother, the brethren, loving, loving each other correctly. Forgiveness. Mercy. I've been reading these things recently. And I still get smacked in the face every time I read about love. I'm thinking, my goodness, how could... How could I be so far off base and think that I can just confess Christianity and confess Jesus but never really truly love anybody? Because the Bible tells you, and I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible tells you if you don't accurately love people, you don't even know God. Yeah. Now that ought to upset you. <laughs> that, that really ought to offset us a little bit and get us really thinking, because that's heavy, right? That's a heavy thing to say. You don't really know God. Ooh, I thought I knew God. So there's a lot of things for you and I to be, uh, uh, be considering uh, when moving forward and whether we're going to trust in these people and we're going to trust in advancements or whether we're going to uh, trust in God. God requires us to share this message with the world using words and actions. Speaking with the elders of the church at Ephesus, Paul pointed to himself as an example to follow in gospel ministry. All right, let's get into it. Page 22. Avon, you back there? Yeah, I'm good. Are you, Ailey, you good? Okay, uh -huh. go ahead. Uh, Acts 20, 17. But when we landed in Malthus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured with the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your house, in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock, his church purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you. My constant watch and care over you night and day and, many, and my many cares for you. And now I entrust you to God 
and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Thanks. Part 1, Example of Faithful Gospel Ministry. After the uproar in Ephesus, Paul encouraged the believers there, then set out to travel through Macedonia and Achaia, and eventually to Jerusalem, as he had intended to do before the riot. So the, the whole riot thing, if you remember, we talked about this last week, the whole riot thing had to do with uh, this guy named Demetrius, and he had this uh, business of selling the shrines of Diana. Um, and with that... Um, with that come an economic impact because what happened was is Paul was was converting them and then they stopped buying the shrines of Diana which upset him and so he stirred up a big fuss and so everybody rioted and and uh, frustrated the witness of that area and I thought about I thought man that's a that's a major thing because that was it had a major economic impact we were talking about the shrines last week and and what a major thing that was is they would go into these temples these, of these false gods and they would buy little uh, trinkets, little shrines from the people who made them. And, and you took a part of the goddess Diana with you to your home. That was the idea. Uh, much like uh, tourism today when you go and you buy little artifacts from uh, a particular location. And so... When this took place, if, I, if I'm not mistaken scripturally, one of the things that was said was, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing this, he said, not only is the, the economic status going to deplete completely, but they're coming against the goddess Diana, and we just can't stand for that. And I'm generalizing that. And so this started up a riot. Everybody got mad and angry, and they, they go and they take the... The, the brothers that were preaching the gospel and they go and they, they haul them uh, before the, the, the uh, leaders of that city uh, to condemn them. We're in the same place in America right now. There's a lot, it's like walking a fine line, it feels at times. And we're going to have to make a decision. The church is going to have to make a decision at some point whether you're going to choose, uh, uh, you're going to have to say things that are going to combat Things of your local economy. Things of the economy. Things that have been made a part of the economy that should have never been made a part of the economy. <laughs> you may or may not know what I'm talking about. I'll let you figure that out for yourself. Because that's not actually the lesson. But I, I want to point to that because it's, it's important that you understand that if you commit yourself to Christ and you commit yourself to being led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to put yourself in contention against other people. I am not telling you you're going to fight or I am condoning fighting or violence or anything like that. But if you stand for the gospel in and of itself, it will bring attention to you that you will not like. Let's put it that way. It's going to bring attention to you that you're not going to like. You're not going to be the most, well, no, I'll, I'll change that. You will be very popular, just not for the right reasons. But that's, 
without creating controversy. I mean, if you're just standing for the gospel itself, I mean, isn't that what you're supposed to do anyway, is to make a stand and to be separate and to be different, to be a bit of an oddity to the people around you? So, I mean, there's something wrong with that person. They're weird. They're odd. They're, they're, they're church people, but they're, they're a little overboard. I want to die that way. A little overboard. I, I, I would not want to be on the other side of the coin, being a little less than, and then having to explain that to God. I would rather just be weird for him and him say, hey, good job. Way to fight for the gospel, right? All right. Um, later, he sailed past Ephesus, then stopped uh, Miletus and sent for the Ephesian elders be, uh, because he had a message for them. Paul reminded the elders of the life of faithful service he had lived before them. He had consistently performed his duties as a humble bondservant or slave of Christ. Paul was grieved to see people bound by darkness and rejoiced when they were released through Christ, which should also be our goal, correct? We, don't, we, we, we mourn seeing people bound in darkness. It's, it's a thing to mourn, not a thing to laugh at. It's not a funny thing. Uh, being bound, we know why. Because being bound, we were all bound. If you know Christ as your Savior, we were all bound at one point. And we all still continue the battle to this day. So it's not nothing to, to look at somebody in a, in, a, in a dark situation and to rejoice or, or to, uh, to laugh at. So he desired to see him re- uh, released to Christ. Fear of reprisal did not keep Paul from telling those in uh, Ephesus what they needed to hear. Fear of reprisal. Fear of rebuttal. That's what that word means, reprisal. Meaning somebody, uh, you getting uh, some, uh, some backlash for something you said. We see that a lot today on, on social media. Somebody says something that, uh, they, that they don't like. You say something that they don't like. What do they do? What's it called today? Big C? Cancel you. We're going to cancel you. We're going to cancel your business. We're going to cancel your family. We're going to cancel everything about you. We're going to shut you out. That's what the, the threat is today. Now, as bad as that is, it shouldn't be something that's surprising to you either because I truly believe that the cancel culture come up to silence people that were telling the truth. Yeah. That, was, that's a, that is a demonic strategy of the enemy, of the unseen dark kingdom that you can't see, that's a strategy, cancel culture. That, it's sad that it's even got to attach culture to the end of it, but that's where we're living. Sean and I talk often about how we wish things were like they used to be. <laughs> anyone, anyone do that other than me? Don't, don't go too deep into that, because that's, that's a slippery slope. But we're living in cancel culture. So there's always a risk of you telling the truth. Now, let's all be honest this morning. Haven't we all been wanting to to respond with a very powerful message, but you put your hands on the keyboard and you're like, hmm, if I say this, they're going to come against me. If I say this, these people that I'm friends with, that's going to put me against them. And I know what they're doing is wrong. And what they're saying on this, on this social media is wrong. I think I won't say nothing at all. Now, there are times when that's wise. Keep your mouth shut. Sometimes it's better just shut up, right? But there are times when you need to open your mouth. There are times when you should defend. 
There are times when you should defend, especially if it's the gospel. Especially if it's for the gospel. And we're, we're afraid at times. I'm not saying that you, I'm not accusing you of being afraid. I'm saying I think it's hardwired into who we are and in our flesh there's this fear that arises. Don't tell me it's not there. Because you can feel it. And it's like, hmm, I think I'll just kind of walk over here and let them deal with that. And you brothers and sisters is in there trying to, trying to get this thing hashed out and to put the truth out there. Yes, putting the truth out there will pit you against other people. It's inevitable. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before in America, how it used to be. Well, we, I just want us all to get along. So do I. But it's more important than that now. It's about life and death, heaven or hell. And to me, that's more important. It's more important to me, heaven and hell, and the subject of heaven and hell, the, the protection of the gospel, the purifying of the cross, making sure that's stable for, my, that for the next generation, that's more important to me than just all of us just getting along. Because in order for me to get along, I'm going to have to compromise. I'm going to have to keep my mouth shut. It's funny, the other, the other side seems to be quite boisterous in their claims. They don't mind opening their mouths. Why are we trying to straighten our ties and be dignified when it comes to defending the cross and the gospel? You should not be quiet when it comes to the gospel. Amen. I'll let you guys hash that out within yourselves. The elders remembered his pattern of relating God's truth both to public settings, synagogues, the lecture hall of uh, Tyrannius, and in private homes as the apostle had done earlier in Jerusalem. Paul's message was simple. To be saved, each person must turn away from sin and turn towards God. That seems simple enough, right? That seems simple enough. Believing salvation is possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. The message was very simple back then, and it is very simple today. It is the same message. It has not changed a bit. The only thing that has changed is the belief of it and what we call today is how that's interpreted. Well, you know, what is sin though, brother? What is sin? Give me a break. Give me a break. The Holy Spirit, there's one thing I know about him. The Holy Spirit does his job very well. Amen. He's a convictor of sin. That's what he does. He's a truth revealer. And I say that because the Holy Ghost, he's, he, they're three, but they're one. He's separate. And, I, and if, you, if you've spent any time with God over the years, you know that the Holy Ghost has a very specific job that he does. His job is to convict. His job is to bring you into the revelation of truth that something has offended the Father. And I believe that he does a very good job at it. Yeah. He, does not, he does not give people breaks. He does not, he, he doesn't have a, a preference of the type of race or individual that you are. He convicts across the board, all the same. And my experience with him has been, but God, I've been in church for a long time. Father, I've been in church ever since I was a teenager. I'm calling you out, and you should have known better more than anyone else because you've been in there longer. Amen, Oh, man, he does not slack on his revelation 
of truth to people. So why am I saying that? I'm saying it because we there's this uh, uh, thing going on today that's calling into question what sin is and is this sin or is this not sin. Let me give it to you quite simply like this. If I believe that the Holy Spirit has done his job to convict, then I believe he's already knocked on your door also. Amen. I believe he's already come to you and said, hey, this ain't right. Now, whether you listen to that or not is a different story. But I believe the Holy Ghost doesn't go slack on his job. He never has. Never has. Um, Had things things revelated to me in the last 60 days, uh, it's been hard to digest. It's been hard. Something's going on in the spirit realm. I can tell you that because the Holy Ghost has been working overtime, bringing revelations and bringing truth. And I think that we need to know it. And I think that we need to listen to it. And if God has been knocking on your door, pay attention to it. Okay, let me keep going. The path of salvation is the same for everyone. You're a Gentile, then or now. Through preaching and teaching as well as many writings, Paul spent much of his ministry emphasizing how God's love and grace reached out to the Gentile world. Yes, it has. We're a part of that, right? If you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile, and you're a part of that grafting in process. Simple enough, right? Well, see, that was the thing that happened, though. That's what happened. Somewhere down the line, it was unpacked. Love and sin, it was unpacked. And then it really wasn't much about sin, more about love. And that's the emphasis, that, and that's the take that everyone has on God now. God is about love. Well, yeah, he is about love. But then you have to also know, what does that love mean? And why, why would there be such a love for us? And I think the, the reason most people don't understand this is because they haven't went far enough back. They haven't asked enough questions. Like if somebody, you know, what I mean by that is, is that, We've received this love, and everybody tells me that God loves me. But that should bring and pose a question to you is, why does he love me? Why? It says that he loves me unconditionally. Why, though? Why does he love me? Well, first of all, he created you. Can we agree on that? Fundamental basic stuff. He created you. You were created divinely by him. Okay. Well, then we know the story of Adam and Eve, right? So we were estranged from God. We were taken away from him. We were pulled away. No way back to him. Except a plan. To send a son that you and I, through him, could come back to the throne to receive forgiveness. Amen. And then we start to see in his word that his son is an expression of his love for all humanity. It's an expression. But the cross, it demands something. It demands to be followed. We follow him, correct? We follow him. And so when you take, when you follow the breadcrumb trail, you find that you can't unpack love and sin. You can't. Because love demands that you recognize sin for what it is. Call it out and repent of it. Walk away from it. That's what he demands. And I'm thinking, listen, church, if he sent his son to die for me and he resurrected his son, he did this whole plan. It took thousands of years to put this plan into place. Why wouldn't I want to abandon sin and follow him? Why wouldn't it be my 
utmost focus to find out what sin is and to make sure that I wasn't playing with it. Because he also said, one day, I'm coming back. Amen. <laughs> one day, I'm coming back, and I'm going to come get you. And that's a whole other story about mm. judgment, and you don't want to hear about none of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a story for a different day. Okay. Um, you have to forgive me, guys. Sometimes I get caught in that. Uh, we're on the second part, I think. Yes. yes. Yep. Um, the Holy Spirit testified to him, repeating. Am I that? Is that where we're at? No. Paul had faithfully ministered. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I apologize. Paul had faithfully ministered to the people at Ephesus in the surrounding areas. The Spirit was now sending him to Jerusalem, though he did not know what would happen when he arrived. The Holy Spirit testified to him repeatedly that bonds and afflictions, or jail and suffering, awaited him. Well, that's weird. You're telling me that the Holy Spirit confirmed this to him? I thought we were only told good things. Just just draw back and think about it for just a minute. Remember, he used himself as an example. Remember, he said, follow me, follow after my life, follow after the, the, the framework. And so I look, look here, and it says the Holy Spirit testified to him repeatedly that bonds and afflictions or jail and suffering awaited him. Man, whoa. Because that doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit of Western culture. I sure enough don't sound like him. Western culture, Holy Spirit, only says good things. Who's to say that's not good? Exactly. That means we have to revalue something. Yeah. Something else, it needs, there needs to be a different value brought to persecution and suffering than you being allowed to do whatever you want. Amen. And so, I bring that point up because I think that's a very important point. Well, think about Jesus. Think about, think about when he was tempted in the wilderness. Everybody familiar with that story? Amen. But go back just a couple steps in the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. But I thought the Holy Spirit only done, done, patted you on the back and told you everything was going to be okay. And maybe we've only brushed the surface of the role of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, he's all about truth. Whether it hurts or not. Amen. He's all about truth. And so he told him, he said, you're going to be telling the truth to these people. And I just want to let you know, by the way, that you're probably going to be taken to jail. Probably going to beat you. But we need to get the truth out there. See, that's, to me, that's impressive. Because he knew it was coming before it actually came. And still went and did it anyway. That's dedicated. <laughs> it's dedicated. I like to be, I like to be, I want to use it as an example. I like to be led by the Spirit also but if we're not careful you'll only want to be led by the spirit if it takes you into money and prosperity fame and fortune god lead me <laughs> we cry we want god to lead us right just so long as there's something to gain at the end of it paul and let's read now let's read let's uh revamp that whole thing and take another look at it the value was there but it was more of an eternal value yeah perspective yep not monetary. And are we okay with not getting a monetary gain? Are you okay with the spiritual reward, not a physical reward? Amen. Amen. So that's something to think about. So a warning came later through the prophet uh, Agabus that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem would bind Paul's hands and feet and turn him over to the Gentiles. Paul powerfully expressed his attitude of self-sacrifice to the Ephesian elders. He counted his life as worthless. This was his own words. If he did not invest it in the work 
of the gospel. He said, my life is, is worthless if I'm not doing this. That's quite, that's, that's quite a thing to say. There's a, lot, there's a lot of weight to that. He had received his assignment directly from Christ through a dramatic conversion and calling. He would not fail to share the message of Christ with the world. Paul's terminology of finishing his course is taken from the Olympic Games and is one of Paul's favorite word pictures to describe the effort and reward of living for Christ. He urges believers to run with purpose. That's a, yeah, if, you, if you've ever spent any, if you've done any kind of race or uh, uh, been in any kind of competition, you know that's the idea is the goal line. What do we got to do to get to finish this thing? What's the purpose of this thing? And so his, his thing was, and what he was emphasizing was, don't just run aimlessly. Don't just run without anything going on. You're just running for, for nothing. Run with a purpose. Run with a reason. I set on the eternal prize. He urges believers to run with a purpose. I set on the eternal prize. Because eternal, eternal is going to what? It's going to last forever, right? So whatever's done here is the setup. Whatever's done here is the setup for eternity. Because when you cross this line, church, listen. When you cross that line from this world into the next world, there is an eternity. But it's in one of two places. And it should bother you that there's only one of two places. And it's absurd. It should be absurd to you in your mind to casually take that and say, I'm good. No, you should be disturbed. That should, that should make you look at your faith and look at your, your uh, devotion and your dedication to Christ and make sure you're in the right place. I don't believe that it was by happenstance that there would be a group of people at the end of time that was standing before the Lord saying, we did all these things in your name. And he said, I don't even know who you are. That's the stuff that should bother you. Because it sounds like the people that are standing before him thought they knew what they were doing. But they didn't. So, let's go to section two. <laughs> now that you've been hit with that one. <laughs> Exhortation to protect God's flock, part two. Uh, we got some time, we're good. As Paul continued to walk, uh, I'm sorry, talk with the Ephesian elders, he instructed them regarding their responsibilities to the church and believers entrusted to their care. Based on the prophecies that had been made about him, Paul believed he would not see these people again. His own words here were not a prophecy, but they expressed his expectations. However, in 1 Timothy 1.3 records Paul was able to visit to the city again. Paul declared himself pure from the blood of all men. He had clearly declared the gospel of the people to the, uh, of Ephesus. They were now responsible to live according to the truth they had received. Why? Because the responsibility was, was once in Paul's hands to deliver the message. Is all right? You deliver the message. your job. You get the message out there. Okay. I've delivered the message, and that's what he was saying. He goes, the blood of these individuals is not on my hands. I have said what has needed to be said. Now, have we done that? Have we said what needs to be said that we could make a statement such as Paul made that I, I'm innocent of the blood on these hands. I've said what needs to be said. Have we been bold enough? Have we been accurate enough? Can we put ourselves in that same place where we say, I've said everything I can say? It's their responsibility now. I don't 
like, sure, I'd like to think so. But that's, there's a lot of room for thought there. In meditation, prayer, of the people that are in your circle that you deal with on a daily basis. And have we been the kind of example to them that's showing them Christ? Are we, are we that individual? Have we said the things that need to be said? Okay. Um, let's go to, uh, yeah, last paragraph. Uh, through Paul's words, the Ephesians received a complete witness of the counsel of God. It was now the responsibility of the Ephesian elders to shepherd God's flock, providing spiritual nourishment and guidance to those who had received the gospel through Paul's witness. The Holy Spirit himself had appointed these elders to serve. That is a word that we're not usually very popular with. It's not very popular. It's not, it's not a word that's well received. Being a servant. Being a servant. Um, you've heard of... Uh, Deacons in church. You've heard of that terminology. You've heard, you've heard that position. And deacons are servants. They're to serve the people and to serve for the sake of the leadership and to make sure things get done. Over time, people have turned that into completely upside down. It's turned into deacons are telling everybody what to do and more like this, this kind of um, dictatorship. It all comes down to servitude and being a servant and desiring to be a servant. The reason I say that's not very popular is because everybody loves to be served. Nobody likes serving people. There might be, I don't know how many people are here this morning, maybe 30, maybe 50? 50 people on Sunday school, counting kids. That's fantastic. That's good. That's good. I'm glad everybody, that's, that's fantastic. I'm glad everybody's here. If you're honest with yourself, if, you, if you're honest with yourself, you'll admit to that posture. You'll admit, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've done that. I put myself there in that same, that same, that same type of uh, a situation that I don't like serving, but I love to be served. It's easier, for one. And in order to be a good servant, you actually have to go out of your way to do something. Especially in our fast-paced society where everything is really fast-paced and moving, you have to intentionally cut your time out. And that's also, I would believe that's even secondary to being a servant, is, is we're very protective of our time. Oh, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean. We got schedules, right? We got schedules. I got a schedule. I run by schedule every single day. And if something gets in the way of that schedule, I get frustrated. I don't mind telling you that. I mean, I make a living off of a schedule, but I'm talking about my whole life feels like it's scheduled from start to finish. And we have to be very careful about the way that we manage our lives in that way because what happens is, is we get so adjusted to setting those things up that before you know it, no one else gets factored in. I'm talking like nobody. If you're left to your own devices, you will not factor people into your life. As a matter of fact, you'll do quite the opposite. You'll factor them out. Why? Because it's easier. It's way easier to just factor everybody out. Live in solitude. You're a grown adult. You can take care of yourself. Right? It's this idea that we have that everything's fine. You don't need me. You don't need me. You don't need me participating in that. All on the contrary, we actually need all hands on deck. We need every bit of help that we can get. The church needs every bit of man, woman, power it can get a hold of. 
because it's weak. It's weak and inaccurate. And it's going to be up to the people to decide to bring that back. All right, so Paul was deeply concerned about the danger of false teachers whom he described as vicious wolves. Some of the false teachers began as members of the Ephesians' own group. <laughs> Where'd they come from? Within. They come from within. It's usually where the problems begin, from within. Um, our country is the greatest country on the face of the planet. Actually, the greatest country that's ever been in the history of mankind. And when you look at our economic status, you look at our debt, and you look at the revenue of what this country produces, there's no reason for our country to be weak or to be suffering from debt issues or to be suffering from poverty issues. There's actually no reason at all. Funny, that's exactly where we're at. Just, it blows my mind. That the state that we're currently in, because the problem is not external, the problem is internal. It's within, that's the issue. So before we start pointing at Joe Biden or whoever, before you point, Judgment begins in the house of God. So the first question should not be who's serving as president. It should be how did the church respond to the things that it was handed? That's the first response. All right, enough of that. Paul drew attention to the devotion and intensity of his work in Ephesus. The Ephesian elders could be motivated in ministry by remembering Paul's un unceasing labors for the Ephesian people. His ministry was not built on self-righteousness, Rather, he shed tears for all who were not right with God. Paul's warnings about guarding against false teaching have been necessary throughout history, as many false teachers have surfaced. Some have tried to reframe the doctrine of the Trinity, deny the virgin birth, and alter or add to God's finished work of salvation. It's this, um, this thing that's going on today. It's, it's called uh, it's the no-truth evidence. That's what we're confronted with today. No truth evidence, meaning that people don't care if there's any evidence anymore. They just feel like it's wrong. There's no evidence. No, they'll feel like they'll see no evidence whatsoever. But you know what? I feel like it's another way. I feel like it should be this way. And then on the other hand, all the evidence in the world points to the fact that there's only a man and a woman. Yet, because we feel like it should be this way or that way, therefore, it is. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's going to get you into trouble. How? Well, because it opens the door. It opens the door. To what? To everything. Because if, because if, I, if, if, if biology can't speak and facts can't speak, if we can't actually point to those things and say, this is our guideline. If we can't point to those things and, and you're allowed to make the decision as to whatever you want to be, that can go anywhere mm -hmm. and go down really, really fast. It's proven that a society, in order for it to thrive, has to have guidelines. Did you know that? Has to. There has to be guidelines in order... For a society to thrive there has to be laws that can't be broken now now it's like laws are made to be broken let's see how we can figure out how to get around that let's see if we can pass 
a law that says there is no law. That's a slippery slope. We're celebrating things in our country, which is supposed to be a Christian-based country. We're celebrating things in our country right now that they will not allow in dictatorship in communism countries. That ought to disturb you. That it's so heinous for them. They're like, huh, get that stuff out of here. And Americans are applauding it. Bring it. That should bother you. It should bother the church. Amen. Others have sought to use Christianity as a means for personal gain, just as Paul warned in 1 Timothy 6 5. These false prophets have sought to make hearers believe they were speaking on behalf of God. I don't have time to get into that, but that's a good one. Some false teachers even abuse their followers either sexually or by claiming control over their lives. Often they preach messages that prove popular with mass audiences, but their sermons lack biblical truth. Come on. Well, the believable ones, the ones that are the most believable are the ones that are sprinkled with truth. It, and it sounds just like the Bible. That sounds just like the gospel. But it's not. It's not. And, and we've talked about this, and I'm not going to get into it, but the dividing line, and I've, we've said it many times, Pastor said it, I've said it, the, the dividing line to look for is the repentance of sin. And I have found that, in to me, in the kingdom of darkness. That's the one thing that the kingdom of darkness will not give ground on when it comes to its deception. When it uses deception to deceive the people, it will not give ground on sin. It will not accept that. It's like, no, you don't have to repent of sin. No worries. Let sin go. You'll never see a, a divisive faith or religion that allows sin to be repented of. Because if you start believing in repentance of sin, then you have to accept the whole package of Christ. Amen. And the kingdom of darkness knows that. So it will always be, you don't have to repent of your sin. That will always be the angle of the enemy to come at to deceive, is don't worry about that stuff. You're good. Or to get you tangled up into questioning what sin is and is really what I'm doing wrong. And maybe it's actually okay and all the Christians are the ones that are wrong. That's dicey territory. Start getting into coming up with your own ideas about things. Church, I'm telling you, watch out. That's how the church is straight off path. Is they've started defining sin themselves and not allowing God's word to do it. Okay, we got like five minutes. Page 25. Example of selfless gospel ministry. Paul entrusted the Ephesian believers to the message of God's grace. Those who receive salvation through Christ must build their lives on God's word. The spiritual construction project, and it is a construction project, will enable new believers to become well-established in their faith and stand strong against the storms of false teaching. So you're constantly building, right? That's what pastor's been talking about. That's kind of what we're talking about on Wednesday night is this building project. We've got a construction project going on down the road here. We've got a construction project going on inside of our hearts, right? And it says here, it says, the spiritual construction project will enable new believers to become well-established in their faith and stand strong against the storms of false teaching, making sure that you don't stray off path. Uh, I've, been in, I've been in church just by definition. I've been in church since I was 16. I got saved when I was 16 years old. I've seen some stuff over the years. I've seen some stuff. I've sat down with Lath and I've talked to him about it. And 
I'm not saying that I've got it figured out by no means whatsoever, but I will tell you that I've noticed patterns in certain behavior, and I can tell when a person's about to depart. I can tell. It's like, oh, here it comes, because here comes the behavior. And there's certain, there's certain things that, you, that they do. And it's not really so much that they do that they stop doing. It's not being done anymore. Not seeing that, that devoted dedication anymore. They were, they were involved in self-sacrifice, but no much, not so much that anymore. And I've even had to notice that in my own life, which is one of the hardest things to accept that I start noticing the symptoms in my own life, and when I notice them, I gotta grab them. Getting lazy, getting lazy, not praying as much. It's not that big of a deal. You gotta call yourself out when your life starts to get lazy spiritually. Amen. And, and realize that, that we're all prone, we're all prone to give it up and to walk in a different direction. Come on. And at the same time, thinking we're right the whole time. Mm. I will also tell you one of the symptoms, you gotta be careful with this one. One of the symptoms is, is that you start getting pitted against another individual. Mm. That the enemy comes and he brings, I call it, it's a temptation, and he wants to pit you against another individual that's within your church. Things start going through your mind, saying, I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they said that to me. And the enemy will create an enemy for you. Wow. That's a symptom. So I'm saying that as a warning. If any of you are looking at your brother or sister combatively and that it's on a continual basis, departure's not far away. Departure's not far away. I've seen it so many times throughout the year. I've seen it happen, thinking, oh no, here it goes. Oh, God, please don't let this happen. Here it goes. Start to intensify and gone. Say he was upset. He was frustrated. I'm not always going to do everything that satisfies you. Stacy is not always going to do everything to satisfy you. I'm going to disappoint you. Stacy going to disappoint you. The person sitting next to you is going to disappoint you. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated. But we also need to come into this, this understanding that God had mercy on us. Why aren't we merciful Amen. to other people? Amen. You know what mercy is, right? Mercy is when you're deserving of something other than that, but you're giving it anyway. Right. Merit and favor. Merit and favor. And so I'm saying that as a, I'm calling that as one symptom. Just one. I could, man, I could name a bunch of them. If, if the enemy is sowing that seed in you and you're allowing that and you, you are having thoughts of being combative or a combative thinking against a brother or sister in Christ that, man, I'm going to bail on this joint. I'm getting out of here. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? you going to go to the next place and they're going to offend you too? Then where are you going to go? And I've been around long enough to now to tell you I've seen them jump and jump and jump and jump and jump and jump. And cycle back to the same churches every 10 years. Because they're always offended. They're always upset with somebody. I'll go to church there if they'll leave. Really? Huh. <laughs> really? No, you won't. You might show up in physicality, but you're not really there. 
Because you didn't approach it right to begin with. All right. I'm out of time. Man, I wanted to finish. I'm sorry. But I think I think I needed to say that. I need to get that off my chest uh, because there's some. I think the enemy the enemy counts on things staying in darkness. He counts on it. And so I really feel that that's a very important thing to bring up and a very important topic. We've covered a lot of stuff this morning. I hope and I pray that you guys take these things home and meditate on them. Be meditating upon on this this construction process. Not so much uh, a physical building as much as the spiritual building that is within you. Amen. Your building needs work. It needs maintenance. You got to pray. You got to read. And as we said before, you got to listen to the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Spirit is, is, is beckoning you, he's knocking on your door, pay attention to what he's saying, regardless of whether it hurts or not. I'm out of time, guys. God bless you. Thanks.